A website is never finished, especially a B2B tech website. Welcome to Forward Slash, the podcast that explores how B2B tech companies can leverage their websites to achieve fast, efficient, predictable, and scalable growth. In each episode, I take a big issue affecting the B2B tech landscape and then pick the brains of marketing leaders around the world to learn how the issue affects the questions B2B tech marketers should be asking about their websites and how to answer them. Let's get into it. Farisad Rashidi, co-founder and lead innovator at Respana, which is a platform that speeds up and scales backlink building for, for B2B SaaS companies. Uh, welcome, man. I'm excited to have you here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Adam. Excited to be here. Totally. Um, so, you know, I, I'm really excited about this conversation for a, a couple of reasons. We, we, we actually have a couple of uh, episodes here planned, right? We're going to be talking about mostly on-site SEO stuff today and then extending into technical stuff for our second episode. So really excited to have the chance to speak to you twice here. But, you know, learning about what you're doing at Respana, um, all of the SEO initiatives that are taking place, but also just to learn about you uh, and your career and how you got to Respana. And I think that's probably the best place to start. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and Respana? You got it. So for folks who haven't heard about Respana, we're an all-in-one uh, link building average platform. And the two target audience that or types of users normally get the most value are uh, other B2B SaaS companies that rely on SEO and content to, to drive signups. And uh, another half are SEO and marketing agencies that basically provide this as a service to their clients. So it's not to say that other types of companies that do SEO can't use our platform, but we've noticed uh, that that this, these two are the, the main uh, types of users that get the most value or normally most successful. Um, as far as how it came to be as a product, um, that goes back in the day when I joined as the first marketing hire at Visme. Have you heard of Visme before, Adam? Uh, just off of your LinkedIn profile. So you might have heard of tools like Canva or Prezi for sure. design. And okay. So Visme is kind of a very simply put a businessy version of Canva, the way I would put it very simply. So uh, we cater, we're a little more upmarket than Canva. So we cater predominantly to SME and, and medium to large companies. And so you can come in, plug in your brand guidelines, and then your team members can create really good looking, professional looking content pieces, uh, pieces very quickly. So it's a little more powerful, uh, gives you more flexibility, and that carries a level of extra complexity to the platform. Mm -hmm. um, so I joined as a first marketing hire, and I was tasked with, tasked with kind of figuring out what our customer strategy would look like, or customer acquisition strategy would look like. And as a bootstrap, company uh, didn't have a whole lot of resources. There's normally three main channels you acquire customers. One is paid ads, cold outreach uh, or sales driven outreach, and um, basically SEO and content. So paid outreach is kind of getting more expensive by the day. And there is some diminishing ROI as you double the budgets and normally it doesn't result in double the conversions. So mm -hmm. normally caps at some, um, some point. And we're obviously didn't have the multi-million dollar budget to put pour into paid ads like our competitors were. And sales hours just didn't make economic sense for us at the time, just simply because our product is very too affordable uh, for it to make sense. So it's like, I think at the time it was like $15 a month or something. So it, it just, it's not something that would make 
fi- financial sense to hire salespeople and go door to door start selling, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we were like, okay, let's understand how our customers purchase a product like ours, right? So f- for example, Adam, let's say you want to put together an infographic for this episode. How would you go about finding a solution that that would help you do that if you don't already have a solution? Start on Google and search. Exactly. Uh, infographic creation platform. Yeah. Like Templates. Yeah. These sort of key. How do I make an infographic? So we, we, knew, we knew from day one where our customers were. And we were like, okay, we know there are people that are Googling for this. Uh, and, and it's math. I can go and see the search volume with these keywords and these SEO tools. And they tell me exactly how many people from where are searching for these. So we're like, great. It's easy, right? So let's go and just build some landing pages and blog posts and put it up on our website. And then people come and magically find us. <laughs> and so we did that. And guess what happened? Not much. It was absolutely crickets. And we got zero <laughs> visitors after a few months of work. And and then we had to, over trial and error, over the course of the past uh, few years, figure it out exactly what works and what happened to move the needle for the most part is that Google and other search engines, they put a lot of emphasis on how popular you are as a resource. So it's not just relying on the content that you put on in a page, which is what everybody focuses on. But it comes down to the, the backlinks and actually what other authoritative resources in your space are talking about you. That's going to basically help you get up on the actual first page or two. So that that's sort mm-hmm. of where we put a lot of our focus on because um, a lot of people, a lot of other companies were just pumping out content, getting no results and moving on. So we, we decided to take a different approach, started producing content pages, built pages less frequently, but then put an improportional amount of resources on link building and promotion. And, and that process was kind of done manually and it, it was quite difficult and, and excruciatingly painful, the way I would put it. <laughs> and so... We built a platform internally that helped us kind of streamline a lot of the dirty work and kind of help us spend more time on personalization. And, and that uh, basically sparked the idea for Respond, and that's how it came to you as a product. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. Um, uh, one thing I'm curious about, uh, because I, I'm an SEO guy, or at least I was, uh, that was uh, my first love in, in digital marketing, and I'm a little bit, uh, I've been a little bit removed from it, especially the technical side. But um, Link building was always coming from the agency side. Link building was always kind of the black sheep, if you will. And even I don't even want to <laughs> bastard child. That. Yeah, That's exactly. I I, <laughs> and it's unfortunate because, as you said, it's so important. But it, uh, for whatever reason, or not for whatever reason, just because of the the resource intensiveness that that used to go into it, it kind of fell by the wayside. It wasn't really even a, a question that people brought up uh, to an SEO agency. It was just like, what's the content you're going to be building? It seems like there's been a resurgence in the popularity of link building. Is that because technology is just allowing us to scale it? Has there been like new uh, additional just like weight put into it from Google? So there's two parts to your question. Uh, First part is why people don't like link building. And and that is because they inherit human fear of uncertainty. Because you can pull up a Word document, start writing content and bam, you got a piece of content. It's fully under your control. By link building, you're contacting other people and hoping that they will respond to you and, and you collaborate with them in a mutually beneficial way that maybe results in a link to your website. That is a very um, uncertain, uncomfortable thing to do. And that's why most people kind of try to dodge it. Now, you could get away with it up until this point because when there is only a handful of or 10 or 20 pieces of content that's 
relevant uh, for each keyword. Uh, then back in the day, like 10 years ago, it wasn't as important, right? Uh, you could relatively easily rank for your target keywords by just putting together a content piece that was decent, right? That was better than whatever was already out there. Problem is nowadays, companies have started to realize the power of SEO and they're investing a ton of cash and resources into it. So almost for any keyword you can think of in most uh, industries, obviously there are some untapped opportunities there, of course, but uh, most introduced are becoming very, uh, um, I would say competitive in a way that everybody's putting together good content, right? So mm -hmm. even for example, for our target terms like presentation software or whatnot, if you go and Google it, then there is a hundred million searches or actually no, no, close to a billion search results for that target keyword. Right. Yeah. So I know even if you're in the top 1% in terms of quality of content, you're still in the millionth, right? So the way Google now, basically, basically if, if everyone's having producing quality pieces of content, then how would you go about actually sorting through them? And that's where popularity comes into place. And that's, that's why link building is sort of becoming more important by the day, just simply because um, things are getting more competitive. Now you're going to have to start doing some un unpleasant things uh, to get your, get your site up into search results. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, that makes sense. Kind of feeding off of that, you know, there's many transitions that's, that's, that we're kind of picking up now in the specific the B2B SaaS space. I'd like to, because it's kind of a buzzword now, I'd like to pull in this idea of the dark funnel and the dark activities. And from an SEO perspective, talk about the effects it might have in content strategy. These days, like the understanding is the, the, the funnel and the flywheel, it's a little bit too linear. It's a little bit too structured. Um, and, you know, buyers are a little bit more, they want to be more in control of their journey, right? By the time, you know, your prospects are reaching your website, they pretty much know everything about you. So I'm, I'm curious from an SEO perspective, has that reality affected your content strategy? I'm curious about that. So I, I agree and disagree at the same time. So let me, let me tell you first the part that I agree with. Uh, customer journey or any buyer journey, we're all buyers of some things, right? So mm -hmm. if you think through your own journey when it comes to purchasing a new product, especially when it comes to software, which is very competitive and there's normally a million different options, you don't normally Google come across one solution, you click on first results and then go sign up and put in your cart. Normally there's more things involved during that process, right? Maybe I'm gonna collect a few items or collect a few software tools and then maybe go read some reviews in G2 and then come back and maybe look through some Facebook communities or maybe ask my cousin or, right? So there are some other activities involved during the, 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 the buyer journey. So it's not as simple as ABC where you kind of, say, okay, here's top of funnel content, people are going to land here, and then they're going to graduate themselves into the second step. And, and I agree with that. Now, the problem is saying that most purchases happen outside of your website, and by the time they land on your website, they, know, they already know everything about you. That's something I disagree with, uh, just simply because I feel like that's a blanket statement uh, that covers all types of products and industries. Um, every type of niche or product or service that you sell uh, has a different sales cycle. So depending on the type of audience you you cater to, the, the buyer journey also changes with it, right? So for example, the, the acquisition or customer acquisition process for an enterprise-grade software uh, that requires consensus among the C-suite of a Fortune 500 company is entirely different from a $10, $20 a month subscription software for a simple software they, they use day right. to day. So what I'm trying to say is that 
uh, yes, uh, SEO is not a uh, it's not a solution to all of your problems. It's not the only marketing channel you have. It is a very powerful strategy if 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 it suits your business and if that's the way that your customers are. Remember, at the beginning of this interview, I ask you a question. It's like, how would you go about purchasing a solution like us, right? And then you said, okay, I'd go on Google. But you don't say that if I tell you, hey, how would you go about, let's say you're a doctor, you want to purchase a equipment for your hospital, uh, right? You normally have resellers. You normally have a directory of people that you contact. And so that acquisition process also needs to change with it. So it's not to say SEO is the right channel for every type of business. That only works if your customers are aware of the problems they're solving and they're actively Googling online. And if that the answer to both is yes, then that case means it's worthwhile to invest in, in SEO as a, as a channel, as one of these touch points during the customer journey, however complex it may be. Are you finding that this economic downturn that we're operating in is affecting anything that we've spoken up, uh, up to this point? Speaking to other B2B SaaS companies, there's... Mm-hmm. Actually, depending on who you talk to, it's very difficult to get demos and, and you know, they're seeing those, uh, that activity, whether it's an increase in bounce rates or a, a decrease in dwell time. Is that what you're seeing on your end? I, I'm curious how, how, how Respond is kind of doing in, the, in this regard, because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, we can definitely dive into what those other companies that aren't really struggling are being successful, how they're being successful. But I'm curious, like, what are you seeing on your end as far as those behaviors because of, of, of what? we're kind of operating right now and what kind of mm-hmm. pivots have you had to make because of it, if any? Right. So I think the, the I would say the impact that is had that the whole idea of the, that we're in a recession is not as impactful for small fish like ours, right? So we're, we're a relatively small company and the audience that we cater to is in a very small niche. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the way that we've sort of coped with this has been predominantly in form of, the change in messaging where basically it's not so much focused on growth. It's more now focused on, let's save you some time and money. Right. Um, so that, that change in messaging and when it comes to our sales conversations and, and our, you know, marketing mix has been helpful in a way, how much I couldn't tell you, <laughs> mm-hmm. but as a fact, I feel like a lot of software companies that get some dips in the trials and demos, a small percentage, especially companies of our size, right? Nine, you know, 10 employees or whatnot. Uh, it, it's a smaller impact than it uh, compared to some of the, we're not Apple, right? Or Google, we're, you know, multi-million dollar companies that use us, you know, reduce their budgets by 10% and that results in a billion dollar, you know, target. Uh, right. miss. We're not dealing at that level. So the, the the target audience that we work with, we're selling $99 a month subscription, right? So the company that's, spending that money is not that concerned about the economic downturn. They're looking to improve their workflow and see if there are any areas that could cut cost or basically be able to put some things on autopilot. So we're not necessarily a beneficiary nor and 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 partnered or or, or the um, part that's been you know negatively impacted as much. Obviously it does hit everybody when it's when the stock market goes down, people become kind of stiff when it comes to spending. But the matter of fact is it also depends on the type of target audience you cater to. Some of the enterprises put together, you know, budget cuts and there's some corporate red tape that gets put into place when it comes to a recession. But uh, thankfully, we are catering predominantly to smaller, medium sized companies where um, we speak with the decision makers themselves. And it's almost a no brainer 
option for people that are looking to do this effort because most likely they're doing this already, but in a more inefficient way. So it's just a way for them to save a lot of time and money by switching over. So it's not so much that is uh, that's going to hinder their ability to be able to move forward. So we thankfully haven't had much issues with that so far, but you, nobody can predict the future. So hopefully, you know, uh, hopefully I can say the same things sometime next year as well. Sure, sure. Um, you know, you're, you're knocking on the door at, uh, at uh, a, a topic that I think is could be it, its own episode uh, if we want it to be. But like this whole idea of, of product led, you know, marketing led, sales led, product led, founder led, whatever, whatever uh, business model model you have. Um, mm -hmm. now correct me if I'm wrong. But you're a product led uh, organization. Yes. Is that how you entire? Yes, on the on the responder side we are, and on the business side we've just like a few months ago earlier this year, we hired a head of sales and building an outbound team, but it's still a very small portion of the revenue. And a matter of fact is it's just because of the industry and the target audience that we have. It's not so much that it doesn't work, right? right. So again, right. going back to who you're, who you're selling to, it's just something that hasn't really been a fit for our industry, but we are willing to invest in experiment and we're open-minded still, but it just not as anywhere near what uh, what the organic content is bringing to us. Uh, one thing I did notice is that you have a seven day free trial window, uh, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. I'm curious, how did you settle on that? Was there a little bit of experimentation there or data analysis? Curious what, what the story is there. Yeah, so simple answer does no. We cut a number off air and, and <laughs> what a lot of SaaS founders don't wanna admit. It's a type of product that, um, it is somewhat immediate in terms of understanding the value. So setting up the campaign. As a matter of fact, it does take a few months for you to fall into place anyway. So that changing now from seven days to 14 days isn't going to change much. But it it does have some data backing. We, I did have um, a look at Vizme's data. Noticed that since we have a free moon model, there are 80, uh, 83%, over 80% of customers who actually decide to put in their credit card, do that within the first week, even though it's a freemium for free forever software. So the majority make that decision within the first week. And, uh, and that was a data point that I relied on to kind of get that seven day trial. We may ex extend it to 14 days. Somebody's like, Hey man, I haven't had a chance to look at it. We'll extend it for you. Not a problem. I mean, it's not sure. a matter of as I said, we're not dealing with millions of registrations here. It's, it's a smaller subset of people. So we're not quite as anal about it when it comes to data analysis. But that is some that has some sense of uh, reason behind it, but not not entirely. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, the first thing that came to mind when I saw that was like seven days. That's not enough to, to test like a, a link building campaign. But what it, it must be just like the the process efficiencies that the tool is bringing them. There's an understanding that the, the ROI will come down the road, but it's like, right. perhaps it's the, the scalability and, and the efficiencies that it brings. They're like, yes, we need this right now. Uh, okay, cool. So let's dive into uh, technical SEO. It can be pretty esoteric, um, especially since it can touch pretty much every touch point from how our page looks in SERPs to the time that we wait for the page to load to how it unfolds when you're actually on the page. Mm -hmm. um, was there a framework that you put in place to, to kind of know what to attack first, or do you just kind of go at it all at once? Um, I'm going to put this again, you're probably going to laugh at me, but, but our framework is one sentence. And, and that is, if it's not absolutely necessary to put it, don't put it. <laughs> we apply that to everything when it comes to design 
and when it comes to installing scripts, when it comes to pixels and cookies, and when it comes to pretty much everything you can think of that you would normally put on the web the website, that is not uh, images and text, right? If it's not absolutely necessary, they'll put it up there. And if you have a page that's just text and you have uh, basically compressed images with, with certain size, right? So a, a fixed width and height, that's responsive. It's going to get perfect scores all around. So anything else that you put on your website is just making things worse instead of making things better. So you overcome that issue by simplifying things, not by getting things more complicated, right? So the simple answer to that is cut all the crap you don't need <laughs> and, and it, your site would be just fine, right? So when it comes to, uh, especially on mobile, since the processor on, on, on mobile is obviously not as powerful as websites, we normally have a very clean, it's just a white page on a, on a mobile that, that just loads the text and the images, right? But, but we don't use a whole set of tools. It's more so uh, incorporated in the design of the page that we keep things as simple as possible. And that's normally what's been propelling us forward when it comes to the, uh, the metrics and the, and the uh, uh, web files and, and site speed is because keep it simple, not, not right. to overcomplicate it. What about schema markup and how, how it displays pages in, in SERPs? Right. So for a schema markup, so I, I, so we fully transparent. We actually hired a technical SEO expert who was basically in charge of figuring these out. And we basically paid a guy and to come in and put together all these fancy markups and schema and it just did nothing. And yeah. the only type of company that I've seen that was worked for has been e-commerce products. Like if you want to get those, like when you Google something, Hey, what is my, like, what's the best tablecloth? And then you kind of see those <laughs> carousel at the top, but some, mm -hmm. with some, uh, products. Mm -hmm. That's the only place that is actually helpful is that where you can kind of tell Google, Hey, here's the price. Here's the information. Here's the title. And other than that, if you're building just blog posts, landing pages, et cetera, it's all going to be have normal text and Google search results anyway. Uh, haven't found that to be really helpful. Um, what we did that does help, and it's not just for SEO purposes, also for just user experience, just having a good table of content, just having that H tags kind of be clear that, hey, this is these are the segments, this, these are the um, uh, questions that we were answering and kind of having that table of content, very simply put uh, the page and kind of goes on the side as you scroll down to, it's just better user experience. I know where I'm at. Uh, and that also helps Google bot when they come and read your content piece to know what questions you're answering. It's the only place that it's really been helpful, which is, doesn't require schema uh, for that. So it's just a, <laughs> a small table of content there. So uh, I wish I could give you some tips and tricks like Steve Toth level, like, hey, here's a <laughs> Python script you, down, you put on your website and does this for you. No, it's just a matter of fact, we did experiment with that, just did nothing. So we, we, don't, we try to keep things simple. Gotcha. Uh, you you got a head start on my next question. Um, I, I was curious what your SEO team looks like. So you said you, you hired um, a, a technical expert. Uh, what were you looking for there? What, how, how many years of experience? Like what technical expertise? Like how did you go about mm -hmm. hiring? That, that was that a consultant that came through a referral from a person I trust um, uh, in the SEO space. 
not a full-time engagement. It was just a one-time project. Again, it was an experiment to try to see, okay, what is this thing that people talk about? Let's see if it has any impact. But our SEO team is actually um, divided uh, up into two parts. We have one SEO manager that sits on top. And basically, we have a uh, con uh, content manager working underneath that marketing manager or that SEO slash marketing manager. And basically, that person handles a network of writers, which includes some full-time writers that we have on board uh, whose job is predominantly quality control and editing. Um, and also a network of freelance writers that we work with just simply because when we're writing about different topics like design, marketing, stuff, uh, uh, not everybody has the same level of expertise, right? So we don't want them to just mm -hmm. talk out of their themselves. We want them to actually have some background in design if they're writing content about design. So having that network of freelancers is helpful. And we also have an off-page team, just uh, consists of about 10 people. And it's actually larger than our on-page team, which is normally uh, like very radical uh, SEO space. But, uh, and those folks, their entire job was just to take pages that the content team put together and go and build backlinks to it. At Respondent, we're a smaller team, so it's two people, <laughs> one on page, <laughs> one off page. So, you know, it depends on, again, I, I don't want to um, also intimidate folks that are listening to this episode saying, hey, Farsa, it sounds like a lot of work. It is a lot of work, but you don't have to do all of it, right? So just allocate resources uh, uh, proportionately. If, you have, if you're a small company, invest as much resources as you have. And if you're a larger company, obviously you have more wiggle room to work with. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, definitely curious about um, yeah, kind of the content workflow and, and production process, but uh, for now kind of, I would love to get into the content, right? From a high level goals perspective, you know, when, when you're, when you're writing organic content, what, how are you measuring that, that success? Is it most engagement based? Is it, are you, are you tying that back to revenue? Um, yep. curious what, how are you approaching it? So there's not a simple answer to this as most of like to keep things simple. Um, the reason mm -hmm. why is because we diff create different types of content. There's three types of content that our content team creates that are uh, normally optimized for surgeons. Uh, one is our link magnet content, uh, which basically is our original studies and, uh, basically, research that we've done that is of interest for people who are writing content pieces, statistics, right? So things that attract a lot of uh, links that uh, most of our average team use to actually go and build back links. The goal of that is not conversions. The goal of that is not get tra any traffic because nobody's looking for it and or if it's seasonal. So the way we measure it is in terms of number of links we generated and, and the quality of those links. Two is what we call SEO content, right? So however way you want to put it. So these are more top funnel uh, content pieces blog, normally published on our blog that are content pieces. Like for example, if you go and look up, hey, how do I uh, how do I create a presentation? Or what are some of the best presentation tools? Or yada, yada, yada. So top of funnel content pieces, our audience is searching for, it's relevant to our product, but not directly promotional. And the way we measure these is based on traffic, right? Uh, the goal of these is again, not conversions. And we do have some CTAs and stuff on the page. We do measure it, but the goal, the way we define success is in terms of traffic because that's what they're for, brand awareness. And the third piece is bottom of the funnel content pieces. These are what we call money pages, where basically the goal of those are conversions entirely. So if you go and look up presentation software right now, Visme should be at the top. 
So mm -hmm. if you click on that page, it's a sales page. It's just a landing page. Hey, here's a product. You can go sign up, yada, yada, yada. That's it. And the goal, the way we measure that is in terms of signups. So how many people are actually signing up, right? And so do we want it to get rankings? Yes, absolutely. That's how we get those signups. But, but the way we measure the conversion rates on the page is in terms of um, how many people actually sign up for a product. So we have a pillar money page, landing page, supported by a bunch of SEO content that, um, and, and then we have some link magnet content that fuels the links. If you kind of paint a picture, it looks like a tree. I'm, I'm kind of curious about those topics, whether the top of funnel topics or the more conversion oriented topics, you can talk to your sales team to understand like what kind of conversations they're having with customers. Is there any kind of uh, customer interaction to understand what they're searching for at the beginning of their journey or like how they found you or anything like that? Absolutely. So I wish I could say that our sales team has more impact on this than it, that they do. They probably should. I mean, there are some, uh, when, when we are releasing, for example, so the sales team marketing team has their hands on product a lot more. So they basically want to, for example, create a new feature. So they come to us like, hey, let's let's build this feature. And once we build this feature, the marketing team now needs to actually promote content around it, right? Now, understanding what exact terms people search is not something that you would normally talk to three or four people to understand you need to look at the data, right? And, and these SEO tools give you the data that to understand what are these terms that people are searching for across the entire world, right? So it's not that the sales team tells our SEO team, hey, we need to create these content pieces. No, it's that we, we create the product and then once we want to go to market with that feature, then we start actually understanding, okay, what are some of these key terms I want to rank for? So what we do, the process for our keyword research is actually very interesting. When we have a feature, so like, for example, let's just take Respona as an example. That's, that's very simple. So we're a link building software, right? Mm -hmm. So what we have, we have a parent keyword link building, which is an extremely high volume, extremely highly competitive um, term. Now, what we, what we do is that we run it through any SEO tool we can pick. So my recommendation is either Ahrefs or SEMrush. Um, there are other tools out that are great, like Ubersuggest, Majestic, et cetera. It doesn't matter what you use. Um, when, when you run this parent keyword through these SEO tools, they give you the search recommendations or suggestions. So we have a list of like a gazillion keywords of regarding link building. How, what is link building? Or what are some link building tools? Or how do I build links? Or what is, is link building legal? <laughs> All right. So then what we do, we normally take three metrics out. So ideally, just realistically, we want to prioritize keywords that have a decent amount of volume so people are actually searching for it. But that's not the only metric we look at. We also look at it, is it within our reach? How competitive is that keyword? We want to ideally prioritize keywords that have lower in competition. But if you just optimize for volume and low competition, it's just going to give you a bunch of irrelevant you know, uh, keywords that nobody ever goes after and what people are looking for. The third element is going to what's going to put, put it in place, and that is business intent. So the way we objectively define business intent is actually, uh, so it's basically saying how, wh when people are looking for this, what's their, do they have commercial intent or not? How much is their commercial intent? So if I'm looking at link building software, I have very high commercial intent. But if I'm looking at what is link building, I, I probably don't have much commercial intent yet. So to measure it out objectively, we actually look at CPC or the cost per click of that keyword, which is it's interesting because we're think, talking SEO here, right? That's we're the anti AdWords, <laughs> but 
But with the way we look at it is because advertisers like to make money. So if people are willing to bet on these keywords and you can understand what these, what these amounts are, somebody is paying $12 a click for this keyword, they better be making some money out of that keyword. So that's the type of keyword that we think that has very high valuable commercial intent. But if nobody's betting on that keyword in the first place, not to rule them out, but normally it means compared to that $12 one, again, we're talking comparatively, right? Uh, it's less. So we put them all together in a little formula and that I used to call the Farzot score and that <laughs> and our team hates it. Let's get so a we, trademark. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, we didn't stick, unfortunately. So we landed on the opportunity score, which basically is a formula that we take the, we don't actually take the volume of that keyword. We take the traffic potential, which is the amount of organic traffic that the number one search results for that keyword takes. Uh, because normally articles or pages are ranked for multiple keywords. It's a more accurate mention. And also some keywords get a lot of volume, but nobody actually clicks. So we want to make sure that we take the organic estimated organic traffic for that number one spot as the metric for volume multiplied by one over comp keyword difficulty, which is a metric that these SEO tools give you for competition, the higher, the, the more competitive. So you want to put in the denominator, that number is big, it's going to reduce the score, right? Mm -hmm. Multiplied by cost per click plus one. And the reason why we do plus one is because anything multiplied by zero is zero. So we don't want to rule out okay. all keywords that have cost per click of zero. We want to just give them plus one so that they at least don't help it. Right. So we still prioritize them, but we still have a measure to kind of prioritize keywords uh, that have a CPC of zero together. So you pop that in, that score is going to give you an arbitrary number, like thousand something, something, point something. And it doesn't mean anything on its own. But what it helps you is that when you're on a spreadsheet sort descending, then the keywords at the top are mathematically have the highest amount of volume possible, lowest amount of competition possible, and the highest amount of commercial intent. Now you start getting a little more subjective. So go through each keyword, pop that in the new incognito window and see what the user intent is. Is the keyword relevant to you? Yes, great. What is the type of search results that come up? Is this a blog post? Are these landing pages? Are these templates? Are these whatever? Um, mm -hmm. Whatever the user intent is, because Google knows, right? Give me any keyword. Let me just do this, Adam. Best link building software. All right, best link building software. So if I type that in Google in a new incognito window, and the reason why we use incognito window is because we want our previous search history not to impact the, the search results that pop up. So oh, I'll nice. take a look at this. First of all, the first five search results that come up, the top 10, they're all blog articles. There we go. Nobody's built a landing page. No landing pages uh, ranking here. We know people want blog posts because Google is running millions of A-B tests every mm -hmm. second. And so they've experimented and figured out, hey, these are the services people actually click on to spend the most time in. So you need to create a blog post because we know what the intent is. Two, what is the format of this blog post? Looking at, again, the, the top five saying 14 awesome link building tools, 13 best link building tools. So listicles. So what we do, what do we need need to do to create this uh, to get rankings? Create a listicle blog post. It's a list of a bunch of options, and write an honest review for each one. So hopefully, respond as part of some of these. But sure. yeah, so that's pretty much it. Gotcha. You, you um, I'm glad you went through that example because it, it reminds me of um, a conversation I was just having with um, my marketing coordinator Eric. We were researching our own topics that we wanted to write around uh, for web stacks. We're we're kind of in. Uh, uh, category creation mode uh, over here. 
I think we were like looking around content modeling and you could see the SEO strategy in place with the competition because like uh, the top one was like the 50 things you need to know about content modeling. And the one below it was like the 40 things. The one below it was the 30 things and the 20 things you could see like there was this, I think they call it the skyscraper mentality where you're essentially just trying to build more and more, co- uh, uh, a longer, long form piece of content. And I was just like sitting there waiting for like, okay, now that we just need to wait for the 20 uh, article that talked about 20 to, to talk about 60 items. Um, and, and that kind of uh, leads into something I'm curious about is how do you decide when enough is enough, right? Jumping from position three to position two, there is a whole lot of increase in percentage of clicks that you're going to be getting. And especially from two to one, right? I think the 30%, uh, the first position gets 30% of clicks. The second position is like 15 and then it just really drops off. So it's like people right. look at, oh, we're on number eight. Like we're on the t- front page. It's like, yeah, cool, right? But you know, you could be getting so much more, you know, you're getting... Five percent of the ten thousand volume right. or whatnot. Like, what is that? I mean, if it is a framework, how do you prioritize that? As far as like, okay, two is good enough, but what if right. it's like a thirty thousand volume keyword with high intent, all, all that kind of stuff? Like, how does that? How do you have that conversation? Yeah. So the thing is, I my opinion about this is actually quite controversial in the SEO space. Uh, we don't have a minimal word count for our team. So when they create content, we just ask them, hey, create the best piece of content that's already better than what's already on the web. So. For example, if somebody's put together a list of 60 different link building tools, does that actually add value or it's just overcomplicates things and it just gives you relevant options? Are there actually 60 link building tools? Probably not. There's only like three. <laughs> so maybe start with, okay, here are the top three. Here are some explanations. And if you would like to add or explore other options and other different categories, here are some other options. Just kind of optimizing that for users. So again, you... Google doesn't look at and counts, okay, do you have 25 or you have 30? So, okay, you have 30, you're number two. So if that was easy, then everybody would have created a thousand, not 60, right? So uh, understanding, okay, what does our user want? Okay, they want to have three or four realistically options to work with. Okay, let's go through and analyze the top 10 tools that are ranked on G2 and then go and write a review for the top three that you have picked and then say, okay, I've reviewed X number of uh, software tools. Here's my top three. And then explain that and then pick a winner. You know, everybody wants a winner, right? And, and kind of have that formatted in a way that makes, makes it easy for me to understand when I land on that page. Because as a matter of fact, even if you have a listicle of 60 items, if I come in there, I'm like, oh, this is too much. I go back and I'm like, click on another page. And I'm going to spend a lot more time on that. And I don't immediately go back to Google and pick another search results. And that sends a signal to Google that, hey, this is a better piece because users tend to spend more time and they don't come back and bounce immediately. So having that mentality in mind that, okay, now that I've spent the time to do the keyword research and understand the user intent, let the nerdiness stop at the door and just let my heart take over and kind of start writing valuable content. So you don't just clutter uh, the the web by just writing shit content, just simply because even if you get rankings, it's not going to stay there. <laughs> Let's be mm-hmm. honest here, right? So even if you get up in the search results, you want to put together something that is um, evergreen and is kind of stick around for, for years to come. Right, right. Totally. Uh, that, that makes sense. Um and I, I was just having a conversation about this with uh, Jan Ganesh uh, over at Avoma. Um, 
you know, it's, and everybody knows it. It's just, a, it's much easier said than done. It, it's, it's writing to uh, exactly what, like the pain points that your customers are, are, are experiencing, this jobs to be done mentality. Um, and, and it's so easy to do what everybody else is doing and just tack on like an extra five things onto that listicle. But it's like, how, how are you adding that extra spice that, that both builds awareness, but also kind of, uh, kind of positions you in a place of authority. Um, kind of, kind of last question on like frameworks and, 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 uh, prioritization. Um, but you know, let's say you, you know, young, young company, like it's in startup mode, you're growing, you've got, you know, you want to go after SEO, you've got a bunch of topics, whether it's sourced from your customers or, you know, you have an in-house experts that just kind of knows what, what the deal is. And, um, you know, let's say you've got a whole number of topics that you want to explore. Do you recommend going after each one at a high level all at once, just kind of get that coverage that, that, uh, that, uh, that footprint as wide as possible, or do you recommend just going into one of those verticals as deep as possible and kind of complete that funnel, or is it kind of a combination of the two? Uh, right. obviously again, resources kind of plays into this. I'm kind of curious how you, how you go about that. You answered your question. You, I a hundred percent agree with you. And that is entirely reliant to your demand resources you have available. The more, the better, right? But mm-hmm. if you're a small company like Respondent, we have a lot less resources than what, what I did have at Visme, right? I had a team of like 10 freelance writers at my disposal. I could hit a bump each one. I had a big budget. So I was like, okay, yeah, let's tackle all of these niche, uh, niches at, at the same time. But we don't have that luxury in the Respondent side, and that's fine. We, we just take it step by step and produce one by one. And kind of try to create topical authority around some of the more important ones. And, and then over time, we kind of get into this. For example, responding, we always start at link building first, right? So let's cover all those bases. And then now every once in a while, we're like, okay, let's tap into blogger outreach now. Let's let's maybe talk, in, talk some things about digital PR, et cetera. But it's not really something that we could create enough topical authority uh, for. But sometimes there are some keywords that are highly correlated. So we're happy to branch out and have some of those uh, silos put together. But uh, as I said, it, it's entirely uh, dependent on your resources. You want to obviously prioritize the ones that have the most impact first. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, awesome. So we got a, a few rapid fire questions here before we close out. <clears throat> um, first up, any upcoming speaking events that you would like the listeners to know about that you're taking part of? Yeah, so I'm actually speaking at the summit that just went live, actually, I, I believe it was today. It's called Fame and Profit Summit. I did uh, have a presentation on SEO and content. Uh, I don't normally do speaking a whole lot except for podcasts. So if you'd like to just uh, search me on iTunes or on, on Apple Podcasts, um, uh, I do have quite a few episodes there. So if you're interested to hear more or you haven't gotten sick and tired of my voice yet, <laughs> there's quite a few <laughs> more episodes you can go. Yes. Awesome. Um, and what about other resources or experts uh, to, to check out uh, on the SEO side? So a few companies produce really top-notch content, uh, respect. When it comes to an on-page side of things, uh, like Steve Toth, I mentioned, he's got a really good, cool newsletter and share some tips if you're more advanced. That, that's a good place to start. But in general, SEO, I uh, like Backlinko a lot, uh, Brian Dean's blog and Ahrefs' blog. Uh, those two are normally places uh, for Normally, if you're new to this space, are good places to start. And then once you kind of get a little nerdy, and then you can get into Search Engine Journal and some of the other more well-known publications. But but normally, Ahrefs and, and uh, Backlink are my favorite 
Agreed. Agreed. Um, I, I, I feel like I might know what you're going to say here, but what's the one thing that you wish more content marketers or just B2B SaaS companies in general um, would do more of? Uh, in, their, <laughs> in their strivings to grow. <laughs> right, right. That's right. I mean, obviously, I would say <laughs> producing less content uh, is probably a more um, interesting approach to answer this question. A lot of people are measure, measuring their success, but the number of content pieces they put out, I actually wanted to reach out to Ahrefs and SEMrush and kind of develop this metric called traffic per page. So if your site has 100 pages and get a lot of traffic, that means you're doing a good job. It's kind of like GPT per capita for, for countries. That's how we measure it, right? So right. If, if you have a small population with they're all getting a good amount of traffic, then great. If you have produced like a robot and produced a bunch of content pieces, probably not. And then you're getting some level of traffic doesn't mean you're as successful. So um, having that, that measure in place where you produce more intentional but less frequently uh, pieces of content than most companies do, and in, invest your more time and resources when it comes to promotion, getting each one of these pages up in the search results is, is what's uh, going to make or break your content strategy. Gotcha. Uh, perhaps a stupid question. Ahrefs is not a competitor. You wouldn't consider that a competitor. Are they a partner? Or, they if are. I remember, yes, we actually have direct integrations with both that's right. Ahrefs and that's CMRI. Right. So you can connect your Ahrefs account, access the metrics and data in there. And yeah, so we're, we're, we're uh, on the Albert side of things. Ahrefs gives you the data. You're like, hey, here are the websites that link to your competitors. You're like, okay, what do I do with this? So respondent is going to find the right person at each one of these websites, get the contact info. You can connect your emails and an email, personalize the messages, all that stuff. And keep track of your contacts, all that good stuff. Cool, cool. Um, very cool. Yeah, I I, uh, I love Ahrefs. I think the marketing that they're doing over there is is top notch. Um, just like a, a really good uh, uh, content Example. model to, to yeah. emulate. Uh, That's right. As, like they're just killing it. Like it, it, and and one of the things that, that I love about them is that they don't even I don't even think they have a, a free trial. It's like they have to pay for it, but it's like they get almost like near one hundred percent conversion anyways because people know what they're getting end of the tool before yeah. they actually like like click into it. So Ahrefs is great. Um, cool. Last question. Uh, where, what's the best place or, or way for everybody to get in touch with you? Sure. Well, my name is Farzad Rashidi. are not a whole lot, whole lot of us out there. So I'm pretty easy to spot normally on LinkedIn as, as a, <laughs> social media I use the most. So yeah, that is probably the best place. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. This has been great. Absolutely. It's my thank pleasure. You. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Adam.